fourth watch starts now. to the fourth watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight we're going to dig into another corner of the alien agenda as we investigate some further evidence presented by renowned author and investigator LA Marzuli. We'll be discussing some of the investigative research that he and his team are responsible for, which is setting us up for a future series that has been long awaited on the Fourth Watch. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Aliens Unleashed with L.A. Marzuli. Now before we get with L.A. Marzuli, there are some things that I'd like to bring up and disclose to you guys. You'll all remember last week, I talked about the shocking interview with a former attorney for the World Bank and her claims regarding the second species of beings that are living on Earth, as well as living in the Vatican. She kindly got me in touch with a doctor who was involved in the research, and we did an interview. Now, strangely, he began going soft on the topic, and sort of tried to move away from some of the information during the interview. And this is strange, because this is information that he had been keen on beforehand. I don't want to speculate too much into the reason behind this, but it caught me off guard for sure. But what really was odd was that a strange energy manifested in the interview, and it haunted me for more than several days. It was a lingering demonic presence that somehow attached on to me. I wasn't sure what was going on, and I tried to write it off as just a normal spiritual attack. Unfortunately, it began getting worse and worse, escalating, and it was oppressing my spirit in an extremely weird way. I even began to get a little overwhelmed and I had to take some time away from the computer to clear my thoughts. But it followed me around. Finally, through prayer and rebuking, this entity was cast off, and I went into the computer, and I deleted the interview and all the related materials. I knew that there was something demonic in this interview that could easily be transferred to my audience, just as it was transferred to me, which is why I made the decision to can the interview. Now, many people write me and ask me about the types of spiritual warfare that I deal with, that I experience in my personal life, people just know that because of the topics that I cover, the type of ministry that I have, I'm under some major demonic attack. And this is no secret. This is no surprise. Most of you listening are probably nodding your heads right now. But this particular event caught me off guard. It was totally coming in from left field. I didn't see it coming, and it just really bogged me down. And this is a testimony to the fact that all of us are susceptible to these types of demonic attacks even amidst our ministry work. Sometimes we forget that the target on our back gets bigger and bigger when we're serving the Lord. Now, here I was working on a project for the show, and the enemy came along and blindsided me in a way that I would have never expected. Now, what I will tell you guys is that the general summary of the interview was that there are at least two species of hominoids, according to the doctor one being classified scientifically as Homo capensis, and one of the others is referred to as Coneheads, just like the comedy movie with Dan Aykroyd. Interestingly, the Coneheads, as well as some others, don't have molar teeth. This stuck out to me because many people who claim to having been abducted say that they have had implants put into or underneath their molar teeth. I've even read accounts of people having their molars completely removed. This struck me as an ironic coincidence, to say the least. The last thing I will say about the interview is that according to this particular doctor, who takes an extremely scientific and unbiblical perspective on this whole phenomena, he believes there is a sinister agenda being carried out by these beings, which is to control the societies and the systems of the world, including our politicians, our leaderships, religions, and even the world economy. Now, I definitely believe he's partially right here, but he denies the underlying realities of what these Nephilim hybrids truly are, as well as the historical conception of these beings. So with that out of the way, 
We will be discussing some pretty wild topics tonight. So before we bring on LA, we're going to go through a few abduction cases just to set the scene for tonight's discussion. On September 19, 1961, Betty and Barney Hill of New Hampshire were returning home from a trip to Canada when they spotted a brightly lit cigar-shaped craft in the sky that seemed to be coming toward them. The hills stopped, and they looked at the flying object through binoculars, claiming to see several figures in the windows of the spacecraft that did not appear to be human. Afraid, the hills got in their car, and they kept driving. Two hours later, the hills regained awareness and found themselves 35 miles away from where they last remembered driving, and with no memory of the last two hours of their lives. Betty's dress was ripped, Barney's shoes were badly scuffed, and both of their watches had stopped at the same time. The experience bothered the Hills for several years, until they finally sought help from a psychotherapist. It was during their separate hypnosis sessions that their memories of being abducted, taken aboard a spacecraft, and being given physical exams by short gray aliens came back to them. Today there is a historic marker on the highway where the Hills had their supernatural experience. On January 25, 1967, homemaker Betty Andreessen and her family were astounded when the electricity in their home suddenly went out and a bright red light shined in through their kitchen window. When the family looked outside, they saw five creatures hopping toward their house. The creatures then came straight through the solid wood door and instantly put the entire family into a trance. The aliens were described by Betty and her father as being short and without any usual human characteristics. And one of them was clearly the leader, she said. They communicated only telepathically. And Betty felt calm and unconcerned even while everyone but herself and her father were in a state of suspended animation. This sounds very similar to the phenomena of hypersuasion. Now, hypersuasion is where a force bewitches someone into a state of total agreement, generally against their normal state of thinking. Betty was then taken aboard a spacecraft and was given invasive and sometimes painful examinations. Roughly four hours later, Betty was returned to her family and the aliens released them all from their trance and they hypnotized Betty so that she would forget much about her time on the mothership. Eight years later, still plagued by the vague memories of her experience, Betty underwent 12 months of extensive psychiatric evaluations and a slew of psychological and medical tests, including regressive hypnosis and even polygraphs. After all was said and done, it was determined that Betty was sane and believed everything about her vivid alien abduction experience. Her case is one of the most famous UFO abduction cases to date. Now, this next account is particularly compelling, as it's a testimony of a decorated Air Force sergeant. Around 1.15 a.m. on August 13, 1975, Air Force Sergeant Charles L. Moody was in the desert of New Mexico watching a meteor shower when he saw a large glowing flying saucer moving toward the ground as if it was going to land. Moody was understandably frightened, he said, so he ran to his car, but it wouldn't start. Just then, Moody heard a loud high-pitched sound. And as the UFO hovered nearby, he could see small, human-like forms on board the ship. When the high-pitched sound stopped, Moody felt his body go numb. And the next thing he knew, an hour and a half had gone by, and he was watching the spacecraft disappear back into the dark night sky. The next day, Moody began experiencing back pain and a strange rash. So his doctor advised him to try a sort of self-hypnosis to alleviate his pain. During the course of his meditations, Moody recalled being taken from his car and brought aboard a spaceship. He was placed on a metal table, and he spoke to the aliens telepathically. After he agreed to cooperate with them, they showed him parts of the spacecraft and even passed on information to him. They claimed to have a mothership hovering above the Earth and said that they did not plan to return to Earth for another 20 years. Now, this just blows my mind. I mean, seeing that this scenario of aliens is so well plotted out and it's so well devised to bring such a deception among the world. The biggest danger here is believing that these aliens are from outer space or even believing that all this is made up and that it doesn't exist. That's the reoccurring story, though, that's so distinctly portrayed in all these cases. They're portraying that they're aliens from outer space or from other planets even, and that they're coming to Earth for various reasons. And this is so dangerous because people are deceived. We know that what we're dealing with here are demonic creatures 
demonic hybrid entities. Now moving on, another famous case of alien abduction is known as the Allagash Waterway abduction, which took place in Maine in 1976. Twin brothers Jack and Jim Weiner and their friends Chuck Rack and Charlie Foltz were all artists. While on a fishing trip, they decided to do a little night fishing. So they built a large fire on the banks of Eagle Lake and were in their canoes on the lake when they noticed a very bright object in the sky. The object began to change colors before their eyes, and one of the men used a flashlight to signal to it. Okay, that's pretty stupid. <laughs> the UFO began to move towards them. The men began to frantically paddle toward the shore, but the UFO moved over them and sent a beam of light directly over them. The next thing they remember, they were sitting on the shore, and the large fire they had just started had completely burned out into a cold pile of ash. The men returned home, but soon all four were haunted by nightmares, in which they all remember being experimented on by aliens in a spacecraft. Under regressive hypnosis, it was determined that all four of the men had been abducted and even subjected to humiliating and invasive testing, including the extraction of semen and other bodily fluids. All four men received separate hypnosis sessions, but their stories were all exactly the same. Since they were also artists, they were able to draw startling, accurate pictures of the exam room. They even drew pictures of aliens and the instruments that the aliens used on them. They also passed lie detector tests, verifying to many that they were telling the truth. In that same year, three old friends were driving home after celebrating a birthday, when suddenly the driver of the car felt that she could not control the speed of the car. Now, this sounds very similar to Admiral Byrd's situation. While he was flying near the pole, and then he lost total control of the plane, because the plane was taken over forcefully by the UFOs. Now, while the car sped up to 85 miles an hour, the women saw a large bright dome-like UFO hovering over them. Before they knew it, they woke up in the parked car, which was backed up into a pasture, heading in the opposite direction than the way they had been traveling. Even more disturbing was the fact that they could not recall the last 80 minutes of their lives. The women had unexplained burns on their bodies, and after reporting the incident to the Navy and even to local police, they were extensively interviewed and questioned about the events that had transpired. Eventually, one of the women agreed to do regressive hypnosis, and their fears were confirmed. They had been abducted and experimented on in an alien spacecraft. The woman described the tests as humiliating and torturous. Interestingly, there had been several UFO sightings in that same area that same night, and a local farmer and the owner of the pasture in which the lady's car was found confessed to seeing a strange flying object with a bright beam of light going from the UFO to the ground. It is believed that this farmer unknowingly witnessed the abduction of the three women. Now moving forward to 1985, author Whitley Stryber was vacationing in a remote cabin in upstate New York with his family when a sound awakened him in the middle of the night, at which point he found a small creature in his bedroom. Several hours later, he found himself alone in the woods, near his home, with no recollection of what transpired. With the help of a hypnotherapist, Stiber eventually recovered his memories of being taken onto a UFO and probed anally and in the brain with a long, thin instrument. Stiber's experience would eventually lead him to start a support group for victims and even write a best-selling book, about alien abductions. Now, I remember working with Tom Horn on a video project. Some of you may remember this story. I've told it a couple times. But Tom shared with me that his sister, as a child, woke up to little gray creatures surrounding her in bed. There really seems to be so many interlocking scenarios that are happening in all these cases. And of course, the fact that she suffered a strange form of paralysis is also directly linked to other cases as well. Now, let's move to Australia. Australian Kelly Cahill and her family were driving home from a friend's house around midnight in August of 1993 when they saw a UFO hovering off the side of the road and Kelly claimed to see human-like figures in the windows of the craft. The UFO zoomed off quickly and disappeared, but later the family was blinded by a bright light all around their car. Kelly reported feeling instantly relaxed in the light. So generally people go into a shock when they see stuff like this, but what's really interesting is that when the light hit them, when they were basking in this light, she instantly was relaxed. This kind of goes back into the whole hypersuasion thing we were talking about. When the family regained awareness, they were still on the road towards home. 
but they could not account for the past hour at all. Kelly discovered a strange mark near her navel, and over the next few weeks, she felt unwell, and she even went to the hospital for a uterine infection and intense pain in her stomach. She would later remember seeing the 150-foot diameter UFO and the very tall aliens who had gathered beneath it. She also saw another car on the side of the road, and later it came out, the family that had been in that car totally backed up her story. And interestingly, they said that they too had seen the aliens, and they also had lost a large span of time, and they even recalled being subjected to invasive medical exams on a spacecraft that same night. Now, one final account we're going to squeeze in tonight. It's interesting because it involves a quote-unquote men in black type situation. In a mountainous area of Wales, an anonymous family was driving along the highway when a large purple craft hovered over and attached itself to their car. They were terrified, but moments later they found themselves seemingly untouched, still driving down the highway as if nothing happened. Now, real quick, more than a few cases are just like this worldwide. These people are in a car when everything happens, and they find themselves still driving in the car as soon as it's over. Coming to while driving in a car, that's got to be scary. So they found themselves seemingly untouched, still driving down the highway as if nothing had happened. However, they were missing a large span of time. And when the husband went to the dentist due to tooth pain, a strange black object fell out of his molar. However, they were missing a large span of time. Another telltale sign. The family reported their experience to local authorities, only to then be visited by two men in suits from the Air Force. And these men told them not to speak of their experience ever again. Interestingly, the family referred to the men as men in black, just like the movies. The family later learned that there had been several UFO sightings in that particular area prior to and on the night of their experience. So just like many other accounts worldwide, they were part of a group abduction in the same area on the same night. Now, folks, these accounts are just scratching the surface. But now we're going to go to the line and talk with L.A. Marzuli. L.A., how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Justin. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for coming on again. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a book you've written called Further Evidence. And it's an updated version of your previous book, Alien Interviews. And, folks, for those of you who are not familiar, L.A. has a great series of DVDs called The Watchers. And this particular book is a companion book to The Watcher 7. He wrote the book with Richard Shaw. They've got photos of UFOs, expert witnesses, behind-the-scenes shots, and much more. But I want to let you guys know, L.A. really documents things very well, even on his website. He offers links, uh, bibliography-type links, and offers links for you to go and check out and further research what he writes about. So with that said, L.A., uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about further evidence? Maybe we could go over some of the abduction accounts that, uh, that you sure. cover in the book. Well, further evidence is... Um, we started off with, a, I started off with a book called Alien Interviews, and in it I had interviewed, oh, about 15 different people who actually had contact with the UFO phenomena and, and other other aspects of that. And um, we it was getting ready to reprint, and we said, well, you know, we did Watcher 7, uh, which is about the UFO phenomena. Let's expand the book and call it Further Evidence. And so we took um, the, the sort of a nuts and bolts of the Alien Interviews, changed the cover, made it an oversized book, added four-color photographs of a lot of different UFOs, uh, mostly from Watcher 7, uh, in there, and it really expanded it. It's, it's, it's um, much, much larger than what it was when we originally started the book. I've got it in my hot little hands right here. Um, what's amazing about it, in my opinion, is first of all, everything that you read is in the field. Um, we're in the field talking to people that have had first firsthand experience with the ongoing UFO phenomena in all of its, basically in all of its detail, from crop circles to the abduction phenomena to lights in the sky to implants. I mean, the whole the whole nine yards, and, it, and it's all in further evidence. Plus, there's 55 full color photos, which are you know really kind of cool because what that does is it, it we've got some great shots of ufos courtesy jaime masson in there but you know a lot of different people weigh in on this um in, in the book 
Um, and it's just, if, if you want to know what's going on and you read the book, you'll be a believer. That's the bottom line. When you read further evidence, all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, this stuff's really happening. Um, it's, it's, in some ways it's groundbreaking. And um, it's, it's certainly a primer for anyone interested at all in the UFO phenomena. And again, I'm out in the field talking one-on-one, not with people who knew somebody who knew somebody who whose second cousin, you know, met Tom down at the, uh, uh, the local bar and heard a story. No, this is right from the horse's mouth. This is right from someone who's had the encounter, had the experience, had the implant, you know, saw the UFO. It's, it's as close as you can get to the phenomenon. What would be some of the, the pinnacle stories that you cover in the book? Well, let me just go here to my table of contents. Uh, Dr. David Jacobs, the abduction phenomena, riveting interviews. Uh, Stephenville Lights with Ricky Sorrell. This guy was out in a field and he was deer hunting on New Year's Day and he looks up and he sees this enormous craft hovering right over the treetops. He estimated it at least a mile wide. He looked in all directions and couldn't see the end of it. It's a, it's a mothership directly overhead and at one point he thinks about shooting the thing. Thank God he didn't do it. And he watched it just silently move over the treetops and then ascend at like a 45-degree angle, tilting into the air and then whisk away. And like five minutes later, a squadron of F-15s go flying by. It's a riveting, riveting story. Ricky Sorrell, going back to Dr. David Jacobs, the abduction phenomena. I interviewed him originally and then went back and re-interviewed Dr. Jacobs about his work in the abduction phenomena, which is just absolutely incredible. When you think about um, the, the cases that he's, that he's had, uh, the people that he's talked to over almost 40 years, four decades of research, the phenomena, folks, is real. People are taken. Uh, things are put into their bodies. Um, they are floated through windows, which defy our physics. As Dr. Jacob says, we're looking at future physics. Yeah, it is. It's the physics that the uh, the fallen angelicos and the good angelicos seem to be able to, to work in. Uh, we, I sat down with Chuck Zukowski, cattle and human mutilations, just a, and Butch, Butch Wachowski, Zukowski, Witkowski. And, and Chuck is talking about the cattle mutilations and Butch Witkowski talking about the human mutilations. Cattle are taken, ovaries are cut out, sex organs are cut out, flesh is dripped from the jaw, eyes are taken, the blood is drained, they are found uh, in the farmer's field intact, no footprints, the coyotes won't eat it, and yet the stuff is cored out with surgical precision. All this, I mean, this is what's incredible about this book. It's all there. These are the leading experts in the field. Think about it. Dr. David Jacobs, Chuck Zukowski. I mean, the guy had his own TV show for a while. He's been all over, you know, talking about this stuff. He's in the field. He's like a major researcher. He let us use um, photographs and pictures and his research. It's just absolutely um, phenomenal. One of the high points for me is Dr. Roger Lear, who passed away uh, this year. And Roger was in all of our Watchers series. He comes in, um, again, on, uh, talking about the alien implants, his research, which goes back decades now, which was groundbreaking, his website, The Alien Scalpel. The guy is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and we were privileged to have him in all eight of Watchers. We actually dedicated Watchers 8 to him. But look, this guy was in the field. This is the surgeon who took out the implants. This is this is the cutting edge, no pun intended. This is the leading expert in the field. And he and he sits down with a written interview in in the in the in the further evidence book. I mean that's just a, a highlight of, of some of what we talked about in, in the book. It's just I mean anybody interested in this in the phenomena when you're who's a Christian specifically, when you read it, you'll see where it's all going. I weigh in at the end and tell you what I think is going on. But we allow people with different worldviews, which is different paradigms, to tell their story without any editing, without any funny business. They just tell their story. At the end of the book, I weigh in and tell you what I think is going on, which I'm allowed to do. And then we go from there. But it's 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 phenomenal. The research that went into that book is just phenomenal. Can you tell us a little bit uh, what exactly is an implant? I mean, we know we know that in modern terms, a, a microchip gets implanted into the shoulder by a doctor. 
But what what exactly what's an alien implant exactly? Well, when I use the word alien, first of all, that that's a misnomer. Um, these are the technology, in my opinion, of the fallen ones. That's that's my hypothesis. That's what I embrace. That's what I believe it is. Uh, the scenario is something like this: a person is taken. It can be any time of the day or night. Usually they are alone. They are not taken, as Dr. Jacobs will, will report, from work as they would be missing. They are taken sometimes in the car after work, sometimes um, when they're asleep in bed. That's most of the time they're taken at night. But they can be taken any time of the day or night. It doesn't matter. Uh, Steven Spielberg's movie Taken, the miniseries Taken, which we talked about in the first interview, uh, basically shows that, that they can be taken any time of the day or night. And Jacobs, Dr. David Jacobs, um, certainly will uh, back that up. When they're taken, sexual experimentation is done. What I mean by that, the ovum is taken from the woman, sperm is taken from the men. Sometimes if you're a man, you'll be mounted literally by a what looks like a female hybrid being. It, it's, it's human looking, but it's not human. And that's you're know, being raped, basically. If you're a woman, the same thing. Um, hybrid being will come and, and, and do... Um, you know, basically rape you. That's what it is. Um, with the woman, she finds herself pregnant. With the man, um, he's re-abducted years later and said, these are your children, these are your offspring. And it's very unsettling. The implants uh, oftentimes go up through the nasal cavity into the brain, and they can't be removed. Other times, the implants are embedded in the arm, uh, below the knee, which is the one that we took out, different parts of the body. What's unbelievable about this is Dr. Dr. Roger Lear has seen them actually travel underneath the skin. And that's just mind-numbing when you think about that. Uh, they also give out a radio frequency of different different gigahertz, but the one we, we discovered and, and uh, removed was about 330 uh, gigahertz. And it was giving out that, um, that signal. That radio signal. So here's this implant about the size of a pencil lead in a man's below the, a man's knee, giving out a radio signal of 330 gigahertz. How's that possible? When we took a Gauss meter, which measures the magnetic field, the same implant, which by the way showed no entry, no wound of entry where the implant was below his knee. And we knew where it was because we had X-rays and we had CAT scans, so we knew there was a metallic object below this man's knee. And when we, uh, when, we, when we examined it with a Gauss meter, it registered about 8.0 to 8.5 milligauss on the Gauss meter. Rick's camera, who Rick is my, my uh, co-producer, I'm a director of, of the Watchers series, and this was all on film and Watchers 7 and 8. And when we did this, Rick's camera, his battery was registering about 10.0 milligauss on the Gauss meter. So here's this little implant in this man's knee, the size of a pencil lead, registering 8.0 to 8.5 milligauss on the Gauss meter, compared to the battery, which is only registering, you know, 1.5, 2.0 milligauss higher, fully charged battery. What the heck are we looking at? It's real. It's not imaginary. It's real. And when we went to, when we went to um, take it out, High strangeness happened in the operating theater, and I can tell you about that if you're interested. So we're dealing with the technology of a microchip that supersedes what we know of in our medical field. Completely. We have no idea what this thing does. I, I, I'll use the analogy that Dr. Uh, um, um, Stanton Friedman uses, and I think it's great. It would be like going back to Christopher Columbus and giving the king of Spain, 1492, Giving the king of Spain a nuclear submarine, they'd have no idea what, what it is they were looking at. How it ran, what it did, they'd have no idea. None. Zippo. And that's how it is with these implants. We only know that there seems to be some sort of technology in these chips, like double-walled nanotubes, which are not found in nature. We, we have them now in our technology. But, you know, carbon nanotubes, double-walled carbon nanotubes, um, we have no idea how it works. It's just like that nuclear submarine. No idea. We have no idea how it works. None. Zippo. It's so far above us, just like that nuclear submarine would be to the king of Spain. He'd have no idea. How, how do you matter? What, what's this wire? What's this tube? What's this nuclear stuff in, you know, that makes it run? They, they, you know, they'd have no idea. And we're in the same boat.
Um, the stuff is is incredibly high tech. It's bizarre, and the technology is light years ahead of us, literally. Now, let me ask you this. Um, in our previous show, we mentioned the breeding program, and it seems to be uh, a lot of these abduction cases are centered around sexual assault uh, for a breeding program. Yes. Um, now, as we, a lot of people have a hard time uh, connecting the aliens to the Nephilim, which I'm with you. We believe that the fallen angels are the are the aliens. So uh, when we go, there was a case study done and uh, about the Paracas mummy. There was the the hair sample that was taken from the Paracas mummy and then compared to a hair that was taken in an alien abduction. Well, I don't think you're wrong at all. What you're referring to is a uh, actually expounded on this in On the Trail of a Nephilim, Volume 2. Um, the red hair that we took from Paracas was tested by Stephen Coburn, and it uh, was it was done in Raman spectroscopy. And here's the bottom line. He took four hairs. He had a human hair, a dyed human hair. He had the red hair from a mummy, 2,000-year-old mummy or thereabouts, found in Peru, with an elongated skull. And he had the white hair, almost white hair, almost, you know, almost translucent hair that was taken from a person who had been involved in an alien abduction. Put them all in the Raman spectroscopy. He's got no Nephilim dog in the hunt. You got to understand that. He doesn't believe like I do. He believes in the alien paradigm. That's what he believes in. So he's got no Nephilim dog in the hunt like I do. And he doesn't know, you know, what this red hair is. So he puts them all, tests them in Raman spectroscopy. And all this, by the way, is on the trail of a Nephilim, Volume 2, which will be out in about three weeks. He wrote a report for me, which is in that book. And basically the bottom line is this. This is where it gets interesting, Justin. The red hair from Paracas. And by the way, we've got samples of that hair. We are waiting for the proper channels to get the hair out so we can do more testing on it. Okay. The, the red hair from Paracas, that 2,000-year-old mummy, and the whitest silver hair from the person uh, who was abducted and had an encounter with a hybrid being, when plotted, when, when run through Raman spectroscopy, the slope of the graphs track each other almost identically all the way up. And that's not supposed to happen. You've got a, a, a specimen, a hair, which had no no um, scalp attached to it, by the way, that's 2,000 years old and a hair that's been taken in modernity, less than 10 years. And yet their slopes are almost identical. And I, I asked him about that. What is that? And he says that there's a direct correlation between the two. Now, we need more testing. But this is like a smoking gun. In, in some respects, it's like a smoking gun. It's like what it does do, in my opinion, is it links what happened in antiquity 2,000 years ago with what's happening in modernity. Is it is it conclusive? No, it's not, which is why we're trying desperately to get the, the samples out but do DNA testing in the states. We've got about a dozen samples in Peru, which were taken by a Peruvian archaeologist. We're just sitting there. We are awaiting to get the, uh, the proper... Uh, paperwork and permits and stuff to get them out, and then we'll do the DNA testing. And we will do the DNA testing, absolutely, once we get the permits. That's what we're up against here. So what it does show is that there seems to be, and this is my hypothesis, there seems to be an outside agency which is somehow manipulating the genome. We see it in antiquity, and the evidence of that is the Paracas skulls. We see it in modernity, and the evidence of that is the white hair found from the woman or the man who was abducted and forced to have sex with a hybrid. What's interesting here, too, is that in, in my new book, Amatrilla of a Nephilim, Volume 2, there's a journal by, by early archaeologists who were down in Peru in 1842, Justin, okay? There's no Nephilim dog in the hunt here at all. 1842. And what, what they discover is a mummy, and inside that mummy bundle is a pregnant woman who's about seven months pregnant, and they open her up, and in her womb, they find a fetus with an elongated skull. Now, that can't be. 
Wow. You understand that? That can't be. And that's all in the new book, Armatrail of Nephilim, Volume 2. And I'm actually in communication with one of the researchers who's uncovered that work. And his ongoing, um, his dialogue is pointing from a completely different viewpoint than mine. All he's trying to say is, why is it that all this was buried? 160 years ago, because it was buried 160 odd years ago. Why is it that the, the public doesn't know anything about this? Why is it that in his part of the woods, he's Russian, that they have found hundreds of these elongated skulls, and yet only one day out of the year, and only one skull is shown to the public? Why is it that all this is completely under the radar constantly? And it's because it goes against the Darwinian paradigm, and it points to an outside agency manipulating the genome. And in my opinion, it ties back to the Nephilim and what we see in the biblical narrative, specifically in Genesis 6, and also afterwards, Numbers 13 and other places in the Bible, where these tribes are in the promised land, the Levant, <clears throat> the mandate by a loving holy God to Joshua and Caleb is to go in and wipe them all out. And unless we understand who is there, then when we get to Joshua and he's going in and slaying everybody, it, it's genocide. There's no way around it, Justin. It's genocide. It's genocide. He's killing men, women, and children and burning everything. It's genocide. And yet later on with, with Jonah, the Ninevites were shown grace and mercy by the same loving God. Something else is happening in the Levant. And what's there, in my opinion, are the Nephilim tribes. And the hypothesis that we are working on, and that's the basis of Amitrail of the Nephilim 1, Watcher 6, and Amitrail of, of the Nephilim Volume 2. The hypothesis is that the Nephilim tribes, there was a diaspora. They began to flee the area because they were being wiped out. Some of them went northward, settled in North America. Others went out, out the Mediterranean Sea, settled in the Gulf of Mexico, upwards through the southern states into Central America. Others went out the other way through the Red Sea and came across the ocean and settled in Peru. That's the hypothesis. So you then say, well, if that's true, LA, where's the evidence? The evidence is all around us, Justin, all around us. With the megalithic structures that we see in Peru, like in Saxiwa Mine and Oyen Tanzambo and in other places, to the great earthworks in Ohio, the Circle Mound, the great, the great Octagon Mound, the great Circle Mound, the Octagon Mound, all part of the same complex in Newark, Ohio. And, and other evidence that we see, uh, we've got the, the historical record, um, from newspaper reports in the 19th century talking about giant skeletons being unearthed. I found four photographs on Catalina Island in the museum that, and I had them analyzed. There's, oh, there's, there are nine footers out there, and I've got photographic proof of it. And Jim Vieira flew out. They're doing a show on giants in the History Channel. I am allegedly supposed to be part of that show now, and I will present the evidence that I found my intellectual property on the island of Catalina because I found it. I discovered it. No one else did. And uh, it's there. And that's why we're on the trail, and that's why this stuff is so absolutely fascinating. And here's the deal, Justin. It points to an outside agency that is manipulating the human genome. And in my opinion, that outside agency is not extraterrestrials from the Pleiades. And by the way, um, Giorgio Tsoukalos went down to and basically copied our Watcher 6 with all due respect to the History Channel. But that's what they did. And they went down and, and they interviewed Senior Juan in the Paracas History Museum, blah, blah. But we've already been there. We already did that. But our distribution is very small compared to the History Channel, which has got all the money. And, you know, they're on, they're on TV. We're not on TV. We're trying to work that out so more and more people can see it. But they spin it from an ancient alien perspective. We're saying, no, it points back to the biblical narrative. And this is why the biblical narrative is true. Now, real quick, here's a question that I've had for a little bit, of, a little time. I, I've been researching the Nephilim for years. When we when we think about the like all the accounts and the further evidence book, all these real life abduction accounts, and we talk about the breeding program, what do you think this is doing um, with the modern Nephilim genome? What's different now? Is it possible that we're going to be seeing um, hybrids and not even know they're hybrids? Because yes. Can, can you yes, ab absolutely. What he's trying to do is to create what the fallen one, what Satan is trying to do, is to create man in his own image. In the same way that we are created in the image and likeness of God, the fallen one is trying to create a hybrid race in his own image. So we're not dealing with 24-foot giants anymore. No, we're dealing not with, at all. We're dealing with, with Nephilim that are blending into society. Correct. 
Justin, I believe that they will have superhuman power. I really do. And that power, may they may be able to read minds. They may be able to have superhuman strength, um, all sorts of stuff. They may be able to communicate telepathically, all sorts of stuff. The, the, the sky's the limit. I'll tell you what alarms me is we are told in Scripture, and I wrote about this in the Cosmic Chess Match. We are told in Scripture, in the book of Revelation, that in the latter days, in the latter days, there'd be this mark called the mark of the beast. And anyone who took the mark would not be able to buy, sell, or trade. Everyone gets that. But there are three other criteria that most people are unaware of. If you take the mark, sores appear on the body. Grievous sores appear on the body. If you take the mark, uh, you are wind up in the lake of fire. There's no grace and mercy. You take the mark, you're in a lake of fire. That's it. I don't get that. Why, why the severity of the judgment? Why, if you take the mark, do you wind up in the lake of fire? The fourth criteria is, in those days, <clears throat> men and women will seek death but not find it. What days are we talking about but days of the mark? Is it possible, like the days of Noah that Jesus points to, that the days will be elongated, that you will once you take the mark, you will not be able to find death? That one of the attributes of the mark is that it will elongate the human lifespan to three, five, seven hundred years, just like the days of Noah. Is it possible? Yeah, I think it might be that you take this mark. One of the one of the ways that when the ET shows up, it's not ET, it's the fallen angelic host, and they say, "Hey, we've got this great um, upgrade in the human genome because we created you. We created all life on this planet. We started the world civilizations. Now at this critical juncture in human history, we're back to usher human race into a time of peace, prosperity, and knowledge. And by the way, we've got this little implant, which is a DNA upgrade. You take it and you live 500 years disease-free. My gosh, are you kidding me? The line for that will be around the block, and that starts the deal. But here's the deal. You take that chip, and in my opinion, you will your image, as Doug Hample say, will be corrupted. You will no longer be made in the image of a likeness of, of a human being, in the image of likeness of God, I should say, rather. Let me rephrase that. You will no longer, if you take the mark, you will no longer be in the image and likeness of God. You will become a Nephilim, a modern-day Giborum through the use of the trip, and will be, become like the originator of that, and the source of that, which is the fallen one. Hence, the judgment of the lake of fire. That's why you're thrown in there, because you're no, you, you can't be redeemed. Your DNA literally will change. You will become modern-day Nephilim. That's my hypothesis. That's what I believe. I've written about it extensively in the Cosmic Chess Match. Interestingly enough, Doug Hamp in his book, Corrupting the Image, we both arrive at the, exactly the same type of conclusion, completely differently from each other. Totally different way of getting there, but we both arrived at the end game of the fallen was to somehow corrupt the genome, somehow corrupt uh, the human genome, so that this is a reason why if you take the mark, you're damned, because you're no longer human, and you can't be redeemed, just like the Nephilim cannot be redeemed, in my opinion. Now, the, the souls of the Nephilim, which we as Bible believers call the demons, um, in, this, in this latter time, during the tribulation, do you believe that those spirits are going to be put in cloned bodies? What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is really interesting. There's a, there's a prophecy in the book of Enoch, and it says in the latter days, it says that um, the spirits of, of the giants, the spirits of the Nephilim, because that's what they are, will rise up against the women and men of Earth. And I think that's what we're looking at already. I think it's already happening. Now, the new hybrids that are being created uh, through the, the UFO breeding program, we'll, we'll just call it for now, they're, they're being created, and, and therefore they're new Nephilim souls. Is that correct? Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, I, I believe that they are the soulless ones. I don't believe they have souls as we have souls. I, I don't. It's very, very complex. And we're only given only part of the information. We're not told that. This is being kept hidden and kept guarded very, very carefully. The information I've gotten are from people who have been abducted, and, and over, the, over the last 25 years, we've been able to piece together some sort of a viable scenario of what we think is going to happen. No one knows the entire situation, but the skeptics were poo-pooing the whole alien abduction phenomena, and the imp specifically the implant part of that, and that's why we did Watchers 6, 7, and 8. We, we went into the lab. You can't refute that. You know, you can tap dance around all that want and call us crazy or whatever. 
you know, it's all on film. We got the guy's story. Here's all the scientific evidence. Something's there. Something is there. He was taken. He was implanted. We took the implant out. Now, as to how it got there and why it did what it did and why it was cloaked right before we were took it out and we couldn't find it with anything, that's uh, up to everybody's interpretation. The ancient alien crowd will say it's E.T. The Christian will say it's spiritual warfare 2.0. And the skeptic will say, you know, it didn't happen. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> and, and that's that's just how it is. Now, can, so, I, can I ask you two more questions? I know yeah, we're, we're sure. out of time. Okay. Um, the first question, and you can, you can, you know, expound on these however you want. The first question is... And considering the Antichrist, I've I've kind of held a view for a while now that the actual uh, flesh suit, if you want to call it that, the the Antichrist is not going to be 100% human. Um, I've always kind of held the the view that he's going to be a hybrid body. I would concur. Okay. Uh, I know I've had people write me and ask me what my thoughts on that are. It would make the most sense in my opinion, and I was just curious to see what you thought. Um, The other question I have, in the last days, we'll just specifically say during the Great Tribulation period, Mm-hmm. With the Nephilim, what do you think the ties are? Um, I, I've talked to Tom about this, Tom Horn. Um, I'm curious to get your take on the Locust Army. The Locust Army is really interesting, and I believe that the enemy is creating something. Um, a good visual of this is Lord of the Rings when Saruman is creating the Urukai. <laughs> 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 and uh, you can see I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, but um, he's creating the Urukai, and I think that the fallen one, you know, he's he's taking components of of the DNA and creating some sort of a locust army. I think this is some sort of a demonic army that that's cooked up in Hell's Kitchen to use Russ Dizdar's term. You don't believe that it's something that specifically comes out of the bottomless pit. No, I believe it does come out of the bottomless pit. I believe that's where it's being cooked up. Okay, okay. Now, okay, you, you maybe you, you sparked my thought. I'm sorry. Can I ask one more question? You can ask anything you want, man. <laughs> okay, uh, I did a series uh, a while back on the Hollow Earth, and sure. uh, I know there's a lot of a lot of strange theories there, uh, but I also know there's a lot of fact uh, that backs up a lot of the theories. Yeah. Um, what do you think the correlation is to the hollow earth and what's going on right now? What do you, do you think something's going on in Antarctica? Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that in relation to the UFO phenomena? Well, the short answer to that is, yeah, you know, absolutely. There's something going on there. Um, I think the hollow earth uh, has, has a lot of validity to it. I really do. There's a trench right outside. I live in Malibu, California, in the Santa Monica Mountains, okay? I've been here for almost 40 years, actually over 40 years. And, um, you know, I, I bought where I am for two acres of property really cheap. There's no way I could afford it today. That's another story. But I live in the Santa Monica Mountains, and right outside in the ocean here is one of the deepest trenches uh, in, in the oceans of all the world. And some people posit that there's a UFO base there, and I happen to agree. That would be a perfect place for it because you can't see down there. And um, we're thinking about, you know, hiring a vessel and an underwater camera that goes down about a 1,000 feet and seeing what there is to see. So here's the deal. I think that there are many mysteries on this planet. I think that Admiral Byrd's hollow earth thing certainly could be real. I think that journey to the center of the earth certainly could be real. Uh, We hear mythos and legends from the Hopis to the Tibetan monks of underground places uh, that go deep, deep, deep into the earth. We hear the same type of stories in early pioneers in New Mexico, in the Grand Canyon, in Colorado. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot that we don't know. And, um, you know, I I don't discount any of that stuff. It's definitely interesting, especially when you mentioned the bottomless pit. You know, we talked about the bottomless pit because that's, it seems that that's a portal on the earth somewhere that, that takes you down into the earth. Uh, the fact that the angel would come down with the key to the bottomless pit. So I think there's a lot of biblical, or I'll say there, there's definitely some biblical evidence, in my opinion, as to the hollow earth and demonic activity taking place inside the earth, even in the book of Job, where you have Satan right. walking to and fro up and down in the earth. So. You know, I definitely think there's a big connection there. I'm excited because we are living in a time, you know, like you told me the other day, we're living in a time where things are happening that we never would have thought would be happening in our lifetime. 
Everybody, be sure to go to www.lamarzuli.net. Check out the Watchers DVDs. Um, LA has a great series of DVDs. They're very affordable. He's got his uh, his speaking engagements on DVD as well. Great books. And uh, LA, I want to thank you again for coming back on the show. And we will definitely look forward to having you on to talk about uh, On the Trail of the Nephilim Part 2. Love to do it, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Considering all of the different attacks that Satan plots on the believer, I want to talk tonight about joy. True joy. Lasting joy. This is a topic of much relevance as we live in a time where so many Christians are struck with anxiety, stress, depression, fear, and even despair, just to name a few. We also suffer the effects of longing for certain things that never come to pass, which also leads us into depression. As I mentioned my story of spiritual attack this last week surrounding my interview with the doctor, I even experienced a mild case of depression that just set over me. So many people struggle with so many different issues every day, and the side effect or the result of those issues and attacks are emotional and spiritual. The things that take place in our daily lives directly affect our spirit. I can remember getting into trouble all the time in school when I was a kid, and even in trouble with the law one time as a teenager. I could see the effect that it had on my parents. My parents each dealt with it differently, but my mom really couldn't hide how hurt she was. I really pushed her to the limit and even beyond more times than not. We all can relate in some fashion as we're all affected by circumstances and trials in this life that are many times out of our control and our spirit and our emotions suffer greatly in those events. I truly hope that this study tonight is going to help shape our hearts, minds, and attitudes for a more joyful living as we open our hearts and grow in Jesus Christ. It sometimes seems like happiness comes only in small quantity compared to the drawn-out course of events we live through each day. So before we get started, I just want to define happiness. One writer explains it like this, Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. Happiness is related to happenings. Happiness is related to happenstance. Happiness is related to the word hap, which is the root word which is a word that basically conveys the idea of pure chance. Happiness is that which you can't really plan and program. It may happen, it may not happen. And it seems so elusive, but it's related to the delight or the satisfaction that is tied to an occasional happening, a chance circumstance. And that's the best that men can do when it comes to happiness. Now, on the other hand, when we talk about joy, We're not talking about something that's related to chance at all. We're not talking about something that's related to circumstances at all. We're talking about a deep down confidence that all is well. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the problem. And that's very, very different from happiness. This is extremely important to realize because we usually make the mistake of confusing happiness with joy. And that's unfortunately incorrect. Now joy, to be understood in a biblical sense, must be understood to be related to God. Joy has to be understood as something that's related to God. It must be understood to be that which becomes yours only in Christ. It also must be understood to be a permanent possession of every believer, not some whimsical delight that comes and goes as chance may offer it opportunity. So we're talking about joy. Much, much different than happiness. Here's a cool way to look at it. And I just read this. Joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Let me say that again. Joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. You see, the world experiences bursts of happiness, but they will never experience true joy because I believe that only Christians know true and lasting joy. The verb to rejoice appears 74 times in the New Testament. The noun joy appears 59 times in the New Testament. It's an essential component of Christian experience. In Psalms chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Thou hast put gladness in my heart, for thou alone, O Lord, dost make me dwell in safety. The psalmist is saying, You give me gladness. You give me joy because of my relationship of security with you. And then we read in Psalm 1611, In thy presence 
is fullness of joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy. You see, God is the source of joy. So we have to understand, joy is a gift from God. Now let me add to that. Joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. On that awesome day when the angel appeared to announce the arrival of Jesus Christ, the birth of our Savior, he said this. He said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, it's the gospel that brings that joy or that conveys that joy to the human heart. In John chapter 15, he says in verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Christ came to proclaim a gospel that would give men joy. It says in verse 17 of Romans 14, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And let me take you to Galatians 5.22. It says one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. So joy is a gift from God to those who believe being produced in them by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings to the heart righteousness, peace, and joy. And 1 John 1.4 says this, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So our joy is full as we Digest the word of God. When you receive and apply this word, you experience full joy. Now you may be thinking this all sounds great, but I go through so many trials in a day and that affects my joy. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) Here's a very important element and this is very important. You will never experience the reality of true joy unless it's made very clear by contrast to your trials. It is in a very real sense known only by its contrast. Sadness, sorrow, difficulty. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says it like this, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now that really sums it up. The Holy Spirit, the tribulations we go through, the word of God, and the joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In other words, you're going through sorrowful circumstances, but always rejoice. How about James chapter 1 verse 2? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And then the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 through 7, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, You are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now that really is a lot to take in, but it speaks so clearly of a future hope we have at the appearing of Jesus Christ, Yeshua. Now, according to Romans 12, 12, we are to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. First Peter chapter four and verse 13 says this, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. In other words, endure with joy now because you know the joy that is to come. And this is even reaffirmed in Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's the believer's joy. That's the theology of joy right there. It's a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as they receive and obey the scripture being mixed with trials and they set their heart and their hope on the future glory. That's the theology of joy in a nutshell. So what's missing from that equation in your life? Being a spirit-filled Bible-believing Christian who receives and obeys the word of God, persevering through trials while setting your hope and your heart on future glory. 
I think I can tell you what tends to get forgotten so often. The setting of our hope and our hearts on future glory. I mean, we know as followers of Yeshua that we are promised future glory. But what happens is these circumstances, they come and they get in the way and they kind of eclipse the light of our future glory in Christ. We allow our focus to shift from those promises, those promises of hope and future glory. And what happens is our focus shifts from those promises to the worldly circumstances. And these circumstances so easily beset us and they distract us. We lose our focus. So right now, I want you to create a spiritual landmark. I want you to commit to focusing on the hope of your future glory in Jesus Christ Yeshua. I know we've covered a lot of important verses tonight in the study, and you may need to scroll back through and make note of all of them just for further study, but the word is filled with these promises to the true believers. And if you've accepted Yeshua, then those promises are yours to focus on, and they're yours to allow true and lasting joy to permeate throughout your spirit and to be rooted all the way down from your core of existence. Now, a professional track star has to leap over so many hurdles and run so far just to make it to the finish line. He or she has to stay focused on the finish line rather than focusing on the difficulty of the challenges of the race. Now, we obviously can't ignore the challenges. We can't ignore the hurdles, but we have to focus on overcoming them, not focus on the difficulties of them. If the athlete were to set their eyes on the difficulties and focus on the difficulties, then the course is going to be much harder to complete. So focus on the promises that await us as true believers, knowing that our future hope exceeds the trials that we face on a daily basis. We have so much reason to rejoice in Yeshua, friends, even amidst our trials and struggles. So let's keep our focus on Him and let's really strive to live His Word each and every day. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. 
Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening.